0: ahead And open it to the Book of Matthew. We uh, will be in Chapter 13. Just a reminder that we are looking at the kingdom parables uh, that we read about in Matthew. We'll be in this series all the way to Easter, finishing it, finishing it on Easter. Just a reminder too: two reasons why we're looking at the kingdom of God, especially you know, specifically in parables. One, the kingdom of God is just a big topic. <laughs> And if you're a Christian in here, uh, you're part of that. So what does that mean? How are we supposed to think about the kingdom of God? Um, What are the implications for that in my life? And how does it teach me more about who Jesus is? And so that's one of the reasons we're looking at this uh, in this series. The other reason is a little more micro, um, having to do with our congregation and thinking about um, who we want to be and what we want uh, to think about as far as vision and mission over the next three years and for the next 10 years. And so I mentioned two weeks ago that instead of uh, zeroing in, uh, it's actually time to, to back, out, back out and get kingdom perspective, kingdom vision for how the Lord is working in and through Wallace Presbyterian Church in this place in this time. And so that's another reason why we're looking at these parables. Um, so with that, let's continue. We'll be in verses 31 to 33, and we're looking at two parables uh, this morning that that go together. So let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word, beginning in verse 31 of chapter 13 of Matthew. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Verse 33, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. Amen. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word to us, and we pray now that you would teach us, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear your words. We pray that you would change us, not so that we could feel better about ourselves, uh, but that in and through that change, that fruitfulness, you would be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, this morning I want to make sense of Jesus' saying, and He said it three times up to this point, in Matthew, that the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and those are the same things. And um, and we've said this, uh, right? That that where Jesus is, the kingdom is. <laughs> Um, and so we're to believe that it is at hand. But how do I reconcile that when I look out into this world or in the midst of my own life and see lots of things looking back at me that cause me to question whether God's kingdom is actually at hand? I mean, we just prayed for the, 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 the issues around the world in Sudan. We are well aware of many of the other theaters of conflict um, our history books are full of that, right? But we can also look internally, right? We have relationships that are, that are not healthy. We have bodies that are not healthy. We have, um, I mean, heck, it's winter. For some people, this is just bad, <laughs> right? right? I don't have to convince you or sell you on the fact that I can hear Jesus say the kingdom is here, the kingdom is at hand. At the same time, I have a hard time trusting that it really is when I look out and I see what is going on in the world? How do we make sense of this? How is it here? But also not fully realized. And that's what these two parables get at. Um, I just want to say this, uh, maybe I last sort of plug here, but if there were ever a time that the members of Wallace wanted to tune in to the podcast, The Fourth Point, it would be this Thursday with this sermon. As I noted two weeks ago, parables often leave us with more questions, and these two parables absolutely do that. And we're going to take that time to dive into those in a more specific way on Thursday. Just a a subtle plug there um, for for everything that's, that's going to come up in this sermon And and it would be worth our while if we listened to it. But we're going to try to begin the process of reconciling what Jesus means by the kingdom being here, um, but not always lining up with our own expectations. How does the kingdom grow? How does it come about? Why is that important for us? And so to do that, uh, we're going to look at three things that are going to guide our time. We're going to look at the pace of the kingdom, right, the pace of the kingdom. We're going to look at the hidden power of the kingdom in this parable the hidden power of the kingdom in this parable, and then finally, the hope that this parable gives us of the kingdom itself. Okay? So that's the pace, the hidden power, and the hope of the kingdom that these parables give us. So let's take that first one in order, the pace of the kingdom. So far, the kingdom of God has been likened in two parables to seeds. Right? Now we get two more parables, one with seed and one with leaven. But both of these parables this morning should be taken together, and I hope you see that. Coupling the tree-like growth and the yeast in the dough, Jesus is teaching that the kingdom comes over time. That the kingdom comes not all at once. And I'm sure as disappointing as this is for you to hear this morning, it was just as disappointing to Jesus' audience who had various expectations about how God's kingdom would come about. Some thought when God's kingdom would come about, it was going to come quickly, almost immediately. Some even cited Old Testament references that pointed the way to this, that with a blink of an eye, God would set his people in power where his law would be enforced throughout the world. Others thought it would come by force or by a military type of action showing all sorts of um, you know, displays a power and shock and awe, we might think. Just like the days of Joshua and taking the promised land so God would usher in his kingdom through the Messiah in a very similar fashion, leaving the oppressed, Israel in this, in this instance, in power over what? Their oppressors. Suffice it to say, what many thought would be happening as it pertains to the kingdom of God and it being at hand was not happening. And it certainly wasn't something Jesus was offering as we continue to unpack this. But while this might seem a little bit distant for us, culturally speaking, right, we don't really traffic, against, as I said, in, in kingdoms and this kind of thing, and certainly we aren't, we aren't Jewish in the Near Eastern context in which they are, we are not removed from our own expectations of how we think God's kingdom is going to come about, which is why it is so good that we give this a fresh listen but many of us are still in, in today's world thinking politically this is how it's going to come about. If we can just get the right people in office to legislate the kingdom into being, this is, what going, this is what's going to bring the kingdom about. Right? Some of us culturally, right, we sit on polar sides thinking, well, we need to preserve our beliefs as a church and protect the next generation by removing ourselves from the pagan cultural influence. Then the kingdom won't get hijacked. Or we just need to become more culturally winsome right, and savvy. This will win others to Christ, thus advancing the kingdom. Or maybe for some of us, it's just methods in general. We don't need to worry about anything but evangelism. How often have you heard that in the church, right? We don't need to worry about anything but prayer, while still others think about it just being a social mission, that we just need to care about the poor and the needy. This is the only way God's kingdom will come about. See, we all have expectations. We all have ways that we think that this is going to happen, And in that way, we sit in the very same shoes or stand in the very same shoes as uh, the audience here, as they listen to Jesus's parables about how the kingdom comes about. For us, part of that expectation and getting it out is what is important to help us adjust, right? What it is we're actually seeing and, and our ability to find hope in that because of what Jesus has actually said. So these two parables begin to address the expectation of how the kingdom comes about. And this first expectation is that it doesn't come about all at once. It doesn't come about in an instant. Rather, it comes about over time. Nothing, nothing about a mustard seed and the yeast in the dough is quick and powerful in the way that his audience was thinking about quickness and power. In fact, it's painfully slow if you begin to think about right, the point of watching it happen. Right? Have you ever buried a seed and just watched it grow? No. Right? But you come back in a couple of days and something starts to happen. Right? Have you ever made bread and, and, and worked the leaven into the bread and then immediately like, began to watch it change into bread? If you did, maybe we'd talk about other things uh, in my office or something. <laughs> that seems kind of strange that you would do that. But no, you probably haven't. Rather, you cover it, right? You set it aside or you put it in. What, I, I don't make bread, obviously. I go buy it for $1.99 at the store. Thankful for that. But you, you come out the next day and boom, there it is, right? There's, 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 the, there's a process of waiting is, is, the, is the point. Nothing about this mustard seed or this, or this, this, this yeast and this dough, the, the leaven, is about quickness and about power. If anything, it's about things that are unseen. This means that Christians must begin to be good with waiting. And I don't, I don't know anybody who likes to wait. Growth in God's kingdom, as one pastor puts it, is a process. It takes time. Like a seed into soil or leaven or yeast into dough, the mustard seed will not grow overnight, nor the bread come about immediately. Neither will the fullness of God's kingdom just appear immediately. What's important in these parables is where the power is. And the power is what? It's in the seed. It's in the leaven working over time. And Jesus, in and, 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 and these parables that we've seen as far as so, seeds are concerned, is that initial seed, and in this case, is that initial leaven that God uses to start his kingdom. But, This will take time. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, has already told us to pray as we looked at earlier this morning. And to keep praying, I might add, that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because growth and recovery and renewal take time. And because God also likes processes. One pastor notes, God is much like a farmer as he is like a king He likes to see things working over time. This is the way Jesus wants to do things, over time. That's why waiting on the Lord is what faith is actually all about. Therefore, we must learn to grow like a tree and not like a fire. Well, this is the pace of the kingdom. Adjust your expectations accordingly. It's how it grows, which is over time. There's waiting, right, until one day the seed is matured to a bush, even a tree here that we that we notice in Matthew that we'll get to later, right? Or the leaven has worked through the entire uh, dough. There, we don't have to like this, but we can trust that in God's plan and in His timing, all will work for good. But what actually brings about? God's kingdom, right? If the pace is over time, what actually makes it happen? Is it prayer? Is it evangelism? Is it serving the poor? And the answer is yes. But we should not confuse the kingdom coming by our methods prayer, evangelism, social renewal, and restoration. Jesus says that it is already here, as we've noted, or that the kingdom is where He is, which is demonstrated as He goes out healing. And raising people from the dead. In other words, the kingdom isn't something that needs our help coming about. Rather, its power is hidden in us. The way a seed goes into the ground and the way leaven goes into the dough. And this gets to the second point the hidden power of uh, the kingdom in this parable. One of the most obvious points of this parable is that they all begin with something very small. You notice that in the language. But they end with something that is much larger or fuller. In other words, the ends are what disproportionate, you might say, from the beginnings. Some refer to this as the latent uh, potency of the kingdom, which I'm just calling the hidden power of the kingdom. First, you have a mustard seed, right? Now, we we know that the mustard seed, just to kind of get this out of our thought, is not the smallest of all seeds. Uh, What's important is that in Jewish literature— the mustard seed was a symbol of what was small, of what was weak, right? You hear, hear this in Matthew 17 when Jesus says, Truly I say to you, um, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, right, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, right? So let's not get hung up on the uh, inaccuracy of that statement, which some sometimes do. The point is that the smallness of the seed in proportion to what it grows is what Jesus is pointing out. The mustard seed will mature into a bush, into a tree, right? But the point is how disproportionate it begins, its beginnings are to its ends. And this is why faith also, right, the size of a mustard seed, why it's enough. is that its hidden power, right, its potency is strong because of what God is doing in you. Same with the yeast. If we go back to it, small, almost unnoticeable when it begins, yet powerful in its own right, with respect to its size and what it ultimately accomplishes. Here, when worked into the dough, it produces an enormous amount of bread. These measurements uh, that we read about in verse 33 are said to produce an amount of bread that would feed over 100 to 150 people. That's a massive amount of bread. This is the hidden power of the kingdom that Jesus is alluding to. Connected to the kingdom growth that happens over time. Jesus is saying that, it, that its ends will be disproportionate from its beginnings. And that, that its power is not in what is seen often, but what is actually hidden. I think about how these parables of the kingdom would challenge near eastern ears regarding expectations of power and of force, of results and methods how does this hidden power work? Well, we got to look at it in three layers, as these parables tend to do. Right? One, as I've already said, Jesus is pointing to himself. As he said, these parables are the way that he answers questions about who he is and what he's doing. But he's pointing to himself. He's saying small, even unnoticeable beginnings will yield enormous results. In other words, consider me. The very one that Isaiah said would be like a sprout out of dry ground that no one would notice. His ministry begins in a no-name town, among no-name people, no-name parents, and involves unimpressive disciples, and it ends with him dying on a cross. What is more unnoticeable, what is more insignificant, as far as a beginning is concerned, than that? But where is it today? Disproportionate from its beginnings. This is the hidden power of the kingdom. But second, if Jesus' followers, this is where our union with Christ comes back in. If Jesus' followers are united to Christ by faith, then the same is true for them. Right? This means that God's kingdom is coming about, and his people, as Jesus' spirit, what? Is in them and changes them and works through them, what? Over time. Like leaven. Like a seed. And the same is true for you today, but then we can take this just one more step as we begin to peel it back. The kingdom obviously begins with Jesus. He's the one doing this. But then as we said, he is hid in us by his spirit through faith, changing us. Therefore, we, and we might even plug in the church here at this point, are like the seed and leaven that go into the world. And as we get worked into these places, we what begin to bring about change and renewal that, the, that is the kingdom of God. Do you see that? Again, we are not making it happen. Jesus is. Rather, he is making it happen through us by his power, right? His power is made perfect in our weakness, we, we read, we might say this is what all that talk about being salt and light a few chapters earlier from the Sermon on the Mount or being the light of the world was all about as Christians push back against the effects of the fall, bringing shalom in any corner of the world in which they work, play, and live. Now, as much as your head might be spinning about this, I just, just imagine Jesus' own disciples or even the crowds who are listening to this who had something completely different in mind. This is why, one, we must come to the text, not prepared for what we expect it to say or what we want it to say even, but prepared to listen to what Jesus is saying. Jesus is transforming our expectations, not just on how the kingdom grows, but where and how that happens. and the hidden power of the gospel, in Christ working in us, and us working in the world, much like a seed into the ground, much like leaven into dough. So one application at this point, before we move on to the last point, is that we must learn then to rejoice in small beginnings. And Again, we'll elaborate on this on Thursday. But we've got to begin to rejoice in small beginnings. What do I mean, what do I mean by that? Let me, let me quote to you one pastor's words about this. He says, We should not despise the day of small things in the kingdom. Right? Beginning to get forgiveness worked into your heart as a small, in, a, in a small way. Beginning to rest in God's grace rather than your own effort or contrived righteousness. Beginning to pray regularly with a kingdom focus. Beginning in small ways to put need, the needs of others ahead of yourself. The growth will not be just in the fruit of the Spirit that we looked at, or even new converts through our lives, which is what we so desire in our ministry, but it will be in the repairing, the renewing of all things of love and truth and beauty and justice and the goodness of God, coming in places and situations where it is lacking and being challenged. Small beginnings. This is why you starting a Bible study in your house, or or only you know, and only two people showing up, right, is no small thing, even though your pride is on the floor. This is why you scheduling that first counseling appointment, right? This is why you taking doctor prescribed medication, volunteering to hand out food at a at a, at a, you know at a local food kitchen, serving. This summer's VBS or making a meal for someone is no small thing due to the latent potency, the hidden power of the kingdom. They are the seeds of the kingdom. I should say, the seeds of kingdom work that the king loves to grow over time, which means faithfulness on our behalf is all that he asks for. You want to see the kingdom come about. Or maybe I should put it this way. You want to be a part of the kingdom. Just be faithful to what the Lord calls you to. Yes, he might choose to not grow our efforts in the direction we want or expect it. And sometimes home Bible studies end, ministries wither and die. Sometimes the real fruit of our work is never, ever seen. But this is not our business. Our business is faithfulness to Jesus, knowing that what starts out in seed form has hidden potentials beyond our imagination. And we leave that work to him. Are you learning to rejoice in the small beginnings? How does the hidden power of the kingdom reframe your call to faithfulness where God has you in this moment? This is the hidden power of the kingdom. So much more to say here, but we must press on. So far, we've looked at the pace of the kingdom, recognizing that it's going to come about over time, not quickly. Second, we looked at the hidden power of the kingdom, how its growth is hidden and works from the inside out even. Lastly, now we're going to look at the hope of the kingdom. The hope of the kingdom in these two parables is the finished product. It's the finished product. In other words, what is started in the seed and in the leaven, it will not be stopped until it reaches its maturity. The leaven will work its way through the entire dough, transforming what was once a hopeless, useless, right, massive dough into life giving bread. The seed will grow into a tree, providing branches and shade for many. It's not a question of will the seed continue to grow or will the leaven actually work its way throughout the entire dough. It is a question of when. And the hope we have in knowing this is because of Jesus. The process that Jesus has started in himself, as Paul refers to as the first fruits in his resurrection, is the real seed, the real leaven that will not be stopped. Friends, it has started a process that nothing, not even the gates of hell, will be able to do anything against. Do You see what he is saying. The point then is, that, as Snodgrass puts in his commentary, is that what you see with Jesus, and this is why we have to look at him, is the beginning of what you hope for in the kingdom and will surely lead to its end. Let me say that one more time. When you see what you see in Jesus is the beginning of what you and I hope for in the kingdom and will surely lead to it. And what do we see? What do we see in Jesus in the beginning? And I'll call us back to Luke 7:22, go and tell John what you have seen and heard, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the death here, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them. Right? Isn't that what we hope for in this kingdom? Isn't that what we hope for when we look out upon the broken landscape of this world and long for the peace to come about that is with Jesus in the very beginning? Rolling back the effects of the fall as he goes throughout the town. This is what he means. Right. Everything that we long for and hope for, that we want, that everybody would agree on, right? We get it in the very beginning as we look at Jesus, and because that's true, because that process has started in His death and resurrection, you are promised its completion. It is not an if; it is a when. And this is where these two parables lead us. We hope we the hope. So, so what is the hope we have in this mustard seed? And I, We'll come back to this at another time around Thursday next week. But listen to this. This, this is awesome. Look at this mushroom seed again. A mature tree whose branches become homes and resting places for birds. Well, this might not spark our ears, right? It would for Jesus' listeners. And Jamie did a great job of talking about how Matthew, who, who is who's writing to a, a predominantly Jewish audience, will pull threads of the Old Testament and pull them together. And he's doing that here Right, And it may take us a little bit of work here, but what are those two Old Testament texts that he's pulling together? He's pulling together Ezekiel 17 and Daniel 4. These birds of the air, these branches, this tree. In Ezekiel 17, we get this picture uh, that God promises to plant a tree. It's actually a cedar in Israel that will provide safety for all who dwell there. Right? What What an awesome parable. Picture what God's going to do. The image then of birds nesting was a common reference to what? To Gentile nations finding safety in the promises of Yahweh. Ezekiel 17 suggests then that in this image, God would what, replant Israel so that not only Israel, but the Gentile nations would be brought in and find safety in God's family. In Jesus, though, we already see this happening. We see it happening both in his life and his death and resurrection as the true Israel being planted, replanted as it were, and growing and in his ascension, to reign over all things, and then in Pentecost, as the Spirit goes out to the nations. It's happening. This was the words on the ground as they looked at this and saw what was happening in and throughout um, the region. But then in Daniel 4, right, and I appreciate if your quiet time wasn't there this morning, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that, that Daniel comes in and he, Interprets and what's this stream? It's the stream of this tall, tall tree that reaches the heavens. It can be seen to the ends of the earth. But yet there's a watcher, well, I should say, and in this tree, all of the beasts and all of those in this world come and find shelter by its shade. See the same thing. But there's a watcher that comes down and says, We will we, we will cut off this tree, but leave the stump. And of course, Nebuchadnezzar is like, what does this mean? And Daniel comes in and says, He's talking about you. Your kingdom is in this kingdom that is, uh, reaches the heavens and it can be seen as far as the earth you know, stretches. But it will come to an end. But God will leave the stump. As a matter of fact, Isaiah talks about the, the stump of Jesse, to which he will grow a final tree that will be a kingdom for the nations. This is what Jesus is saying in this parable. This is what he is suggesting, that God is in fact replanting Israel in him, that the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar's dream that was cut down in its place will grow the real kingdom that reaches the heavens and that can be seen to the ends of the earth. It is the kingdom of God, and it is coming in and through Jesus Christ. His kingdom will grow branches and leaves that will be for the healing of the nations and where the beasts of the field will lay down and find shade. When we say that these parables Jesus answer the question of who are you, we begin to see the answer take fuller and fuller shape, don't we? He's the one God is replanting. He's the one to whom God is finally acting through to bring about his kingdom and his rule to the ends of the earth. This, friends, is the hope of the kingdom. Yes, there is waiting. There is waiting involved as we come into the pace and the process of God's kingdom. There's understanding, excuse me, as we learn to have eyes to see the hidden power of God's kingdom, perhaps not in the ways that we first expected, right? But there's confidence too. There's hope. Excuse me. That that what we all hope for, that we all long for, in every aspect of our life, that what we hope for in the end is everything that we see in the beginning with Jesus. Now it's excuse me, I want you to look at him. He is the one who's doing this. He is the one. In the midst of all of our tragedy that gives us the hope and the confidence that this is not how it ends. I think my tears are, uh, (laughs) it's a pleasure and a privilege to, excuse me, Try to carry some of the weight of the things um, going on in your life. I know it's hard. I know it's hard to come in here and hear a sermon about the hope of the kingdom. But when you begin to look at Jesus... We begin to see what he is doing and what he has done. Friends, that is where our eyes need to be focused. That is where our gaze needs to go. In and then through that, he's the one that gives us the confidence to move into the next day, regardless of what you're facing, regardless of how bad it gets. The work has started, you can't stop it. Okay, and so with that, we have tons of questions, and part of of this is is beginning to realize that in all the ways that we grow in fear and we grow in uncertainty are all the ways that we stop looking to him, and I'm not asking us to not be real, obviously, about the pain and the suffering that is going on in our life. What I'm asking you to do is to hold that together as you look to him. As we sang, "O oh joy that seeketh me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain, and I feel the promise is not vain. That mourn shall tearless be. How do we hold that together? In light of the things that we experience, yet the promise that is given to us, you have to look to Christ. And what this means for us then as far as questions for application, and we're going to land the plane here. (laughs) should have done this a while ago. But the questions for us become, how are we then fitting in with the work of the kingdom that has already begun? It is a beautiful picture in my fear and in my doubt when I wonder if this is really true, and by true that God's kingdom is real, that I'm allowed to look at Jesus and see everything I hope for, in the end, right here in the very beginning. And it allows me for a moment to pick up my eyes and say, where and how do I need to move into where the kingdom is already at work, where the kingdom has already started, where it has already begun? If the process of the seed and of the leaven will not be stopped, how does that reality, friends, shape your lives, shape your ministry, and and maybe more importantly, give you hope in the darkest places of your life. Yes, these parables give us more questions than answers, but there's more hope here than despair. And we'll leave it with that. This kingdom has begun. It will reach its end, and everything that we hope it will be Is given to us as we set our eyes on Christ. Let us go and be reminded of that now as we dine with Him together as His people. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words, your truth. Thank you for using (laughs) feeble people to proclaim your message. We thank you for the hidden power of your word in us that is doing real things that we may not even be able, able to see as you are changing us in and through the world as well. We pray in the places where it seems darkest and that your kingdom is, is nowhere present, that you would work mightily in those areas to push back against what you have already defeated. Would you use us and bring us into the story of your kingdom that you're already unfolding? Would you use us in those ways? Would you bring us more in line with the things that are going on, less in line with what we are consumed with in our own worlds, in our own kingdoms? Would you do this for your glory, we pray. Amen.